Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician. And this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Kirk, I'm doing great. Yeah? I am. I'm very excited uh, for this coming week. Uh, you got to go on yes. vacation because you live on a perpetual vacation. But uh, <laughs> we're going to meet up on Monday in just a, a very few, very few days. Uh, my family, we're going to start our vacation a little bit before you. We're going to. Um, spend two nights in Duluth. We're going to drive from here to Duluth this weekend. One of, one then, of uh, our wives' favorite cities, Duluth, Minnesota, yeah. which if yeah, you haven't wife. been there, you just have no idea how beautiful it is. And you're, you're referring to my wife, right? I, I, or our, both. Wives, our wives, our wives, plural. Okay, both of them. Plural okay, possessive, them. S apostrophe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anyhow. <laughs> yeah, beautiful place. And so we're going to spend two nights there and then four nights at, at a uh, resort called Lutzen Resort, which is kind of halfway up the north shore of Lake Superior, which is a really beautiful place. Um, and uh, every, I don't know, half hour or so up, up that coast is, is a state park with cascading waterfalls, mm. uh, which um, are filled with clean water and great swing holes. I never realized up until a 2000. Four or five, 2005 vacation. Yes, that we took together uh, with with you and your wife. Um, I never realized how fun river swimming could be. If it's like a nice <laughs> clean river, like it's kind of fun to have current. Yes, and I just remember uh, it was in August, and there was really low water in those rivers, and um, which meant that we could swim up the river into places that we couldn't otherwise uh, swim. So we could like swim up these like waterfalls. Uh, during June and July, they're like intense waterfalls, but um, the water had slowed down. And and uh, in uh, Ocho's Rios, Jamaica, there's this beautiful, such a beautiful waterfall that that it almost seems man-made. It's called Duns River Falls. That uh, you spend, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour climbing uh, bit by bit this this waterfall, and and it's it's just a very refreshing thing to kind of scramble up this kind of big waterfall and. Um, so climb up this waterfall into this hollow that clearly no one else is in. It, it just felt like um, for a few minutes, for, for maybe an hour, that we were in paradise as we climbed up in, into these kind of uh, rock ca cavernous uh, gorges that, that, um, that had been hollowed out uh, over thousands of years by um, more intense waters. But in August, low water, uh, it just seemed um, uh, it was so idyllic and, and beautiful, Kirk. And uh, and then so that was in 2005 we had that great vacation with you uh, joint vacation with you guys but and then in 2011 um, we uh, was the last time we went to Lutzen with you guys Jordan our 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 oldest uh, child uh, she was eight months old and not sleeping at all and so it, it was kind of a difficult but also uh, delightful vacation your two of your boys were older and, and they would walk down to the lake and, and stand there on the, the, the edge of the lake and throw rocks in and mm -hmm. I, I think all, all the Haber people think very fondly on that trip nine years ago and we've always wanted to go back um, and uh, so I'm excited to, to go back to the same place that's it's just a, a beautiful view uh, I'm sure we'll post pictures to to the the podcast discussion group on Facebook, which if you're not a part of, uh, just ask and, and, and we'll add you. Absolutely. And then we'll make the trek up to our, our cabin. This may be our, our le well, 
Hard we'll to see. Say. This may be our last time visiting while the cabin is still standing. Um, uh, our grandfather's memorial will be next June, at the end of June, and it may still be standing then. But this may be our last overnight there. Yeah, that, I mean that. I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, that'll certainly be uh, be bitter, bittersweet. Be walking around, taking mental snapshots of a, a lot of different things for the last time. Um, I don't know if we've ever explained to our listeners uh, quite what that arrangement is. Mm. Um, our uh, our father's father, our um, paternal grandfather, um, Dwight Haberman, was a United Methodist minister, and our father is as well, so it's in some ways a bit of the family business. Um, he uh, and his wife in, what, 68, 69? I, I don't want to make up dates. <laughs> he, uh, they bought land in northern Minnesota on, on this paradigm, What's the adjectival form of paradise? Paradisical? <laughs> that sounds like parasitical. A paradise-like lake in uh, on the Canadian border. And uh, within four years of doing so, uh, the National Park Service had swooped in and declared it a national park, which we understand why it's beautiful, Voyager's National Park. Um, but as part of the deal, as part of eminent domain, they were really, they had no choice. The best, the best option they had was a lifetime lease, which means... Um, the land would revert to the park um, at both of their deaths. And our, our grandmother died a couple of years ago, Nana. She loved that place so much. Retired school teacher who, uh, after, you know, from age 60 until uh, when, when she died, what, in her late 80s, she spent uh, at least a month every summer there. Um, it, is, it is certainly drenched with memories of her. And, of course, our, our grandfather would as well spend significant time there. And so for both you and I, it's tied up with, uh, really tied up with lovely memories um, of them, of time spent with them, of time with cousins, with uncles, with aunts. And then of course, uh, it's the most beautiful place that you and I have um, mm -hmm. been privileged to spend time as well, on top of all of that, Christopher. So I mean, mm -hmm. it is, it is, it is difficult to exaggerate how special and lovely it is. And I think our, our friends, and our wives who have married into the family, friends who have been there, kind of agree, like, wow, this place really is as special as you say. So um, that's why it's it's particularly special to us. Yeah, and I guess an interesting detail for, for the listeners, if, um, since they probably don't know this. So uh, up until I was in fourth grade and you were in seventh grade, um, we would go there once a summer um, and spend maybe a week there. But then yeah. we moved up um, half an hour from the dock. Yes, <laughs> um, and and uh, uh, so after church, which was twenty minutes by boat, this is a boat access cabin. You can't drive there. Um, so after church, oftentimes uh, when Nana was up there, we would uh, go and so so for for a big chunk of our life, like eight years, we would go there frequently during the summer, like weekly or or every two weeks, um, and and spend a great deal of time there. And then, uh, Kurt, you know went away to college and then it be became kind of this once a year kind of annual pilgrimage and, and Kirk you've you live farther away than me but uh, you've been much more dutiful in, in making sure that you get there every every year yeah I mean it's been it's been a super important thing for me um, do you do you remember I just had this this memory as you you said 20 minutes by boat do you remember uh, one Sunday was it a Sunday yeah. after church yep, I remember you and I were gonna go go visit uh, visit Nana and uh, this is, you know, what, what did this have been, 97 something? You know, before the internet, before you could just check your Weather Channel app, right? Uh, and uh, as we set out upon the lake, we didn't realize there was a small craft warning. And uh, there, there were times when, I mean, we, we were caught up in, in wind like we've never been caught up in before or since. In an itty-bitty open <laughs> boat. Um, I remember just having to be strategic. It was like, like it felt, I think, like... I haven't seen the movie, but the way the clips I've seen from the Perfect Storm as this itty bitty boat is is being tossed about <laughs> on the on these you know fifty foot waves, like uh, I felt like I had to be strategic driving the boat as as like uh, so as not to capsize it that that so waves wouldn't come over us, so altering the speed and and steering so that we were always kind of on the crest of a wave rather than crashing down with a wave. Um, filling the boat. Yeah, so I've looked this up just now. A small craft advisory means that the weather other than water is, quote, sustained winds or frequent gusts between 22 and 33 knots inclusive and waves greater 
than four feet. <laughs> okay, so we weren't on a yacht. <laughs> we were on, what was it, a 15-foot boat? Open, like... <laughs> yeah, open boat, you know, not four feet tall. So I also looked this up. We were in a 16-foot boat. I, I had written this down uh, like five years ago. I had checked in with Dad trying to get the details of this story. And it, <laughs> the motor was a 15-horsepower motor, Christopher. Yeah, so it took it took longer than 20 minutes in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Well, we've got a we've got a short show today, um, because uh, I'm I'm meeting up with uh, friends. Um, we're meeting at a, at a at a swimming pool, a happy meeting. So I got to take off. So um, uh, why don't we why don't we dive right into the uh, the gospel reading? So today's gospel lesson uh, is two different portions of Matthew 13, when Jesus tells the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 9, and then explains it in verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. And for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, this this parable here uh, is is uh, a parable. Jesus has been sent. He has just sent his disciples out. Uh, he's given them all sorts of warnings that it's going to be rejected by some and 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 received by others. And and here's a parable about that. Um, and so he's not saying you are the sower, but but it's it's quite obvious. Like anyone who is um, doing the work of mission, who is being a witness. You know, as, as in the Lucan language, uh, uh, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, that's what all Christians are, are called to. We're sowing these seeds. Um, and this, this is familiar biblical language, this agricultural uh, metaphor, this, this idea that what we are doing... Uh, is sowing seeds. We are being witnesses. We are sharing the gospel, um, and the the returns are not always immediate. If you and I planted, and this is funny when you have little kids and you want to teach them uh, different things, is you know you plant a seed and then they kind of stare at it the next day and the next day. <laughs> they're like, well, "Where's the plant? Where's the fruit right. of this plant?" Right. And uh, you know, I think we've talked about this before in in like even grapevines. Like it may take years for it to yield fruit. Um, and, and the same thing goes with us. Like, if, if we were discouraged because we sowed seeds and didn't see immediate results, that'd be foolish, especially since we believe that it's God that, that, that provides the fruit, and it's just it's our job to sow the seed. And so we see um, how some of the seed is received, and, and uh, 
you know, sometimes we do see an immediate result. Uh, but in fact, the immediate result that we see here is is not the one that we're looking for because it's immediately choked up. There's no depth of of, of soil, um, and it's choked up, um, and, and it goes away. And, and while it may be kind of temporarily encouraging to sow seeds, um, to bear witness, and to have someone res immediately responsive, uh, sometimes those people who are immediately responsive they don't stick with it because they're 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 looking to say like, well, how does this benefit me? And and of course. Uh, as we follow Jesus, uh, th the benefits are agricultural. They're, they're sometimes slow, and, and sometimes they're, they're, they're not earthly benefits. Like once we have a change of heart, we see um, that uh, rather than um, getting everything that we wanted uh, in our kind of fleshly lives before we, our hearts were changed, to use Paul's language, uh, things of the flesh and things of the spirit in, in Romans. So that's, that's not physical and, and spiritual, but it's just things before our conversion and, and then after our conversion. Um, once we are converted, we see the world differently. We see it through Christ's eyes, and, and we want different things. And and so uh, the people who who immediately respond um, figure out that, uh, oh, well, this, this Christianity isn't working for me. And to quote uh, some, one of our favorite uh, teachers uh, from the podcast, The White Horse Inn, uh, he says Christianity isn't true because it works. Right, right. It's true. It's true <laughs> in itself. Like that's like that's why like we are Christians. That's why we believe is because it's true. It's not true because it's effective. And so maybe these people who immediately spring up when they when they see that it's not an effect an effective tool for them, um, that that they kind of lose faith. Yeah, and that's such an American concept. That's even the only American uh, philosophical school. <laughs> uh, that, that is stuck. Um, uh, which uh, pragmatism? Which, pragmatism. Which, which pragmatic philosopher said um, truth? Tr uh, a statement's truth is its cash value. <laughs> like how American is that, right? Something is true to the degree that it's useful or even makes money. But anyhow, go on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I'm going to keep my comments a bit brief t uh, today. Uh, the, the the last thing I want to highlight is. Um, you who have been given the gift of, uh, I'm sorry, he who has ears, let him hear. So it's not that we should fear, like, oh man, are are, are we are are we rocky soil or are we, you know, seeds falling on the path? You know, we don't wonder about that. But like, we who have responded, um, who have 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 ears and have heard and under have have been given understanding, um, here, like. Keep your nose in the Bible. Like we who have been given this gift of, of, of belief and understanding and um that that's that's something that the Lord has done in your heart. And and so um stay in his word and, and grow and and uh you know, with this agricultural language, bear fruit. That's interesting that you uh, bring up assurance in relation to this. Mm. I hadn't thought about this, but but I guess um that assurance is kind of an issue um, in the American church. Mm -hmm. uh, I think though that goes back somehow to, to Calvin or to Puritanism, like am I am I in? Am I among the elect? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a, where am I in this parable? What which verses me? Yeah, I mean, so this is beside the point, and I, I, I I'm not going to linger on this. But I, I wish that um, we had more clarity in telling people um, that uh, were you baptized. Yes. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, do you believe in God's promises made there? Yes. Well, then there's your assurance. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have you don't have to wonder what seed you are. Um, we could probably have an entire. You know, I, I keep saying this. We talk <laughs> about sacraments all the time, more than anyone wants to hear about the sacraments. But we <laughs> we should have a a show or a series of shows on the sacraments being assurance. Yes. Um, and, that's and, right. and that's a wonderful thing about them is that yeah. if you are baptized and and you believe, like that is assurance. <laughs> Yeah, your assurance is etched on your forehead in the heavenlies. Mm. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like this is where I get charismatic. You asked me, are you a charismatic last uh, week? Yes, the promise of Christ was poured out on you, and I get charismatic here. I believe angels and demons see it on your head um, as you walk about. Um, I believe that it is Mark. Otherwise, it's just a man. Otherwise, baptism is just the thing of man, right? Like, do we right, believe that and, the Holy Spirit has claimed you? And no one, no one can take that away. No demon, nothing. No one can take that away from you. So, so feel that assurance and relish in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark... and, and 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 be not be not mistaken. Um, uh, demons are verse nineteen from today. Um, 
when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and mm. snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Yeah, and that actually was the verse that that I, I was um, meditating on as I was reading this this passage as well. I'll, I'll get to that in, in a moment. I'll just tell, I have so many Martin Luther anecdotes that I just love, but wh- one of them was when um, he said, when Satan whispers in my ear and causes me to doubt um, the promises of Christ, or, or no, I think it was, when Satan tells me, reminds me of my sins and that I am a sinner, I say to him, I have been baptized. I have been baptized. I have been baptized. You would repeat that as a mantra. Anyhow, verse 19, um, you brought that up. Uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Um, I, I have, in some ways, a naive or a childish uh, sensation of uh, sadness, sorrow, disappointment, loss. Um, when I've when I've seen throughout my life um, those people who have been mm. present in good churches or around good teachers, good clergy, um, who have heard the gospel, um, and for reasons that are that only God knows, um, it it hasn't it hasn't stuck. And um, I love uh, Jesus' honesty here, um, acknowledging that that is a thing that happens, <laughs> um, because it is honest. Uh, I, I don't have any any greater uh, insight than that. It's it's just something that that has continued. It's been it's been a theme of my kind of Christian life, not a theme, a recurring observation. Watching it happen um, with sadness, and um, and this is what in some ways a, a major theme of this parable, right? Some seeds um, don't stick forever, and uh, um, just just notice it and mourn it and pray. And um, give thanks to God that um, that you uh, that you are a flourishing plant. I guess I don't have any, <laughs> any deeper thought. I, I guess <laughs> we should end every segment with that with I, I, that I, bit of confidence. I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that was just uh, it's 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 a sad observation every time you see it. I, I uh, listener, you can't see, but Christopher was was nodding vigorously. This has been something that you've noticed as well. You just kind oh, yeah. of wonder at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts before we uh, move on to the, our, our theology segment, Christopher? Nope. All right. On that on that uh, heartwarming note, <laughs> um, let's uh, let's talk theology. So, Kirk, you want to talk uh, in this segment about uh, the Christian idea of forgiveness, especially in light of cancel culture. And so both of us are really hesitant to, to, to get political, um, but we also remind each other we don't want to be partisan. So we want to be able to speak into kind of the political kind of uh, – ideas of the day without being um, partisan or, or uh, so we can even take up issues, I think, um, but without, uh, obviously the Bible has a lot to say about politics and, and about things like forgiveness. And um, if you don't know what cancel culture is, uh, it, it is this, this current, in this current cultural moment, when someone says or does something that is, that is wrong or is perceived by a group to be wrong, and it doesn't even need to be the majority anymore, um, is many people can get outraged and call for for the cancellation uh, of, of that person. So I don't remember her name, but the perfect example was this, this, this girl, this 20-something girl, was in Africa. She tweeted something offensive. I'm not going to defend what she tweeted. I don't remember what she tweeted. But uh, she and, and then she got on a plane 
And when she got off the plane, she learned, you know, turned turned her phone back on. Uh, this is before Wi-Fi. Her, her name was Justine Sacco. Justine Sacco. And, what a great name. She got, and she got sacked. Yeah. Um, uh, she found out that, that she'd been fired for, for her comments and just just really publicly shamed. And and uh, so we can uh, – we don't want to – here's the thing about forgiveness is, is it requires repentance. It requires contrition. Um, you, 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 we don't want to offer uh, forgiveness apart from those things. Um, but we also want to help point people towards righteousness. So you, uh, to take a non-abstract case of Justine Sacco, and uh, I don't think it's important to talk about what she said, um, but, but which, for her— Which was awful. Okay, it was— She said, she said uh, I'm going to Africa. I hope I don't get AIDS. JK, uh, I'm white. Oh, so, she, oh, so, so it was her leaving for Africa. Yep. And, okay. and by the and she time arrived in Africa, she arrived yeah. in Africa, she had only 170 Twitter followers. Um, I, I shouldn't say only. I think and, that's and lost like her and lost my, her job. Yeah, and she lost her job. And and her uh, life was essentially ruined. It was an 11-hour flight. She slept through most of it. Yep. And and a more contemporary example, uh, and maybe you can Google this while while I'm uh, is is uh, this um, yeah, minority? Have... He's a minority. Um, he, he was he was like uh, an electrician or, or electrical worker of some sort, a Latino, I think. Um, was driving around in his pickup, and someone thought they saw him flash an OK sign, which a certain group of people, um, a very small group of of kind of. Uh, white nationalists have taken to be their symbol of white power because uh, the okay, there's a W and a P when you look at it. Um, and then a very small segment of the cancel culture um, has said, well, anyone who flashes that, they, they obviously know it's, it's, it's white power. When, like, we didn't even know this was a thing, you know, six months ago. But um, he thought he perceived that this guy, so he's, this, this guy next to uh, his car started shouting at him, shouting at him like, you know, show me the okay, like, do that hand sign again, do the hand sign. This guy's like, why is this person shouting at me? What, like, if, if I just do what he says, can I get him to, to go away? And so he, like, he just followed the directions and, and did that thing with his hand. The guy took a picture of him um, and sent it to his employer because he was in a work truck, and he lost his job. Yeah. Uh, and this is a perfectly righteous man who lost his job and has not gotten it back despite being um, – uh, like he himself is not white. He's <laughs> he's me Mexican American. He said that his fam he comes from a diverse family of quote all races, according to him. Right. So it, it was any anyhow. The point is whether he meant it or whether he didn't. Um, but the point is um, his he he was quote canceled unquote his, his right his life so, so the mobs that come after these people are looking for societal righteousness. But there is no sense of forgiveness. There is no sense that as we, as this person maybe maybe grows and matures and repents and seeks um, seeks reconciliation, um, the idea of reconciliation for for this cancel culture is completely lost. The point is to punish people, which is totally contrary um, to the Christian idea of forgiveness. And so we're not saying that like society, uh, although like we want to spread Christianity throughout the world because. Uh, it's true, and we want all every knee to bow, and uh, and every tongue to confess Jesus is Lord. Um, but uh, we want to kind of contrast this bloodlust of the the online crowds with the Christian idea mm. of forgiveness, the, the idea that God separates us from our sin as far as the East is from the yes. West, um, even to the point where He remembers our sin no more. So, so I, I've kind of I've raised it and, and I've talked a lot. So, so Kirk, would you say more about this? Well, well, the example that, that that really made me think we should talk about forgiveness um, on the podcast was uh, the Boeing executive. Um, his name is Neil Golightly, and uh, and uh, let's see here. So this would have been this was last week. This was Thursday. Um, he resigned over an op-ed written thirty-three years <laughs> ago on women in combat, uh, which. Which uh, I, I, there's no reason for you or I to take a stance on women in combat. It has nothing to do with um, our, our our vision and our, our values um, on this podcast. But it's not like that's a dead issue. Um, I mean, there there are many respectable nations um, that 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 still kind of have have male only um, 
uh, male-only armed forces, and there are plausible arguments on both sides of it, etc. But but this was uh, this caused this Boeing executive. He was a 29-year-old Cold War Navy pilot. He wrote an op-ed, um, and 33 years ago, he's a, uh, was forced basically essentially to resign. Um, and and you notice um, a lot of these news stories. They're initially called resignations. Um, and, and then, it's very Stalin-esque, isn't it? Well, that's what I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to contrast the 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 the, the absolutely Stalinist nature of this with 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 Christianity. So, um, the way that uh, a, a Stalinist confession worked um, in Soviet Russia was, and you see this very powerfully at the end of 1984, um, when the protagonist is forced to confess, um, confess the stuff he know he didn't doesn't do. But the point, and the point isn't reconciliation and forgiveness after the confession. The point is the humiliation of the confession and then go away and die. Um, which is, that is the spirit of Antichrist, right? You did, a, that, that is literally Satan's MO. You did a bad thing, now go to hell, right? Satan whispers your sin in your ear and reminds you that you are condemned. <laughs> and Christ says, no, I have washed that away, and you are mine in paradise this day. Amen. Uh, right? So, um, the Stal- in, a, in a Stalinist show trial, you confess to something. Maybe you did it. You probably didn't. <laughs> and then once the party got your confession, then you were, con- then you were killed. Um, so notice, the, the, uh, in Christianity, we call this the Ordo Salutis, right? The Order of Salvation. Uh, and so what would be the Latin? The ordo condemnus, right? There, the, Satan has a particular order of condemnation. And, and uh, the, part of the sadism is you, you have to confess. You have to say you did this thing, whether you believe it was right or wrong, whether you still believe. You notice this as well? Um, who knows what these people who confess and resign actually still believe? Um, in, with sodium pentothal, maybe they, they still believe the thing. It doesn't matter, right? right. You need to confess. And then you need to go away. Mm-hmm. And that is the spirit of Antichrist, right? That mm-hmm. is not what the life that Christ calls us into, which is the order of salvation is sin, repentance, right? Repent means to turn, right? So our hearts mm-hmm. turn. We confess. We are reconciled by the blood of Christ and then called into the spirit um, through baptism in the spirit into newness of life. Um, and we are, we are, we are given... Um, the spiritual gifts to uh, to amend our ways, and we are given a new heart, um, and that is such a different picture um, uh, than what than what cancel culture uh, has brought into existence right now, wouldn't you say? Definitely, it's so remarkably different. And so, how would Christians speak to this now? Mm. Oh, I cut you off. You were you were. Well, you oh, well, I, I mean, I I also don't want to. Um... I, I also don't like there is a sense of, of like there are consequences for sin. Yes. Um, so sure. although although uh, uh, God forgives our sin and remembers it no more, um, like that doesn't mean that there are no consequences. And very often in public life, uh, we have kind of these uh, polar opposites. So on, on, on the one hand, we have some people who are like, yeah, OK, I did it. Um, I, I, I take responsibility and they want to pay no price for it. To say, um, to, to acknowledge it and to admit it, there's no contrition, there's no repentance. It's just like, okay, fine, like you, you caught me, I did it, and I've taken responsibility. What more do you want? Um, well, some, sometimes there is a sense that like maybe in public life you shouldn't, if, if, if you are an office holder, may, maybe it, it should cost you that. That doesn't mean that you never get to do that again. So, um, you know, kind of the one uh, example that kind of came to mind, so... This, this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation um, in public life, I do think that, that there, there ought to be a cost. So like, just because like you are, you are um, reconciled to God over, over this sin doesn't mean that uh, I raised the, the, the public figure of Mark Sanford, governor of, of South Carolina, yes, who he had yeah. this odd disappearance from like, he just disappeared from public life. Like he, he was around and then he wasn't. Didn't he say um, he was hiking the Appalachian trail? Where he was, I'm what, pretty South sure. America, he was in South America. Yeah. Where instead he was in South America. Argent, this Argentinian mistress. <laughs> yeah, cheating on his wife. Um, and he ended up marrying this 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 mistress, and uh, he never left public life. There was no public sense of shame right. or or, um, and and again, God takes away our shame. 
Um, but should he have turned around and run for Senate? Um, or should there have yeah. been a public price to pay? So I'm not saying yeah, um, that, that that there's no sense of, of – of, uh, that, that like anyone who forgives, who, who um, confesses their sin and, and, and uh, we should just forgive them and we should say uh, in society that there's – they should be able to do – for instance, like if, if I do heinous sins as a priest, I can't just be like, hey, um, I – I've – God has forgiven me, therefore I should be able to remain priest. Yeah. You know, if I defraud everybody in the congregation, well, do all sorts of horrible things. Well, we had a real life uh, in our province, a real life example of this. We had a bishop, uh, I think it's Bishop Jackson, um, who uh, was, uh, I, I don't know if he was caught, if a prisoner came forward. Um, he had he had a, a pornography problem. Mm. Um, there was there's We have a process in our canons called godly admonition for clergy. He was brought, brought into that. Um, and then there was a relapse, and he has been deposed. He is no longer in the, the College of Bishops, and he is, he is not allowed to, um, to, 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 to preach or, or provide any sacraments. So we've seen this actually in, in, in our church yeah. in the last several months. Where, where um, if he forgives his sins, or if, if he confesses his sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse him from his sin and to remove all unrighteousness from him. Uh, that that is true, but he's not going to be a bishop anymore. Yeah. He's not going to lead a church. Yeah, um, you and I have seen this in our children. Um, we can tell the difference when they're saying they're sorry because they want all the trouble <laughs> and it can go away to, be, to go away, or when they have genuine contrition of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and genuine contrition, um, you see in the Psalms, uh, Psalm fifty-one. See, yes, created me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit in me. Yeah, and then cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Uh, yeah, so the heart... D- David the heart... David is not grieved because of the consequences of sin. He is grieved because of his sin. Right. right. And, and that that is the work that the Holy Spirit must do for there mm-hmm. to be newness of life. Um, yeah. So, and we are not as, what Queen Elizabeth said, to make windows into men's souls. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I feel like... As you and I have noticed in our children, um, someone's speech, someone's statement has a certain, there's a certain tang to it when there's contrition and a different tang to it when they just want all the ickiness to go away. Wouldn't you say? Definitely. Um, <laughs> if I acknowledge that astronaut Kool-Aid is the actual word you're looking for there, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's, yeah. Anyway, um, do, do you want to do a uh, culture uh, real quick? Yeah, or let's do, you, let's, yeah. do let's do uh, very let's do very a screeching culture. halt er, transition. Uh, Into culture, Kirk, you and Kim uh, have really enjoyed watching great cinema lately. And um, specifically, you want to talk a little bit about Tarantino, right? Yeah, I think think so. Um, Quentin Tarantino has a particular reputation uh, as uh, being uh, the great Michelangelo of violence. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know if he's ever been called that. I think I just made that up, right? But... But he's the great artist of violence, uh, of uh, cinematic violence. And I certainly thought that until, until the last month, two months. I mean, it's two films in particular, um, two, two that he's made in the last 11 years. And he's made more than this. Um, but, but we watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like a month, six weeks ago. And then uh, this past week, we watched Inglorious Bastards, uh, which was 2009. And, uh, and if, if you haven't watched anything since Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and Kill Bill, and kind of the bloodbath, uh, the, um, the gore fests of the 90s. Or the, movies, or the movies in between, yes. or the bastards and 
but anyway. Yeah. yeah, you you'd think that um, that that the violence is kind of his metier. It's it's his thing, and uh, you and I were talking that, before the show that he's Johnny One Note, and that's his one note. Right, um, he's he's grown into something else, uh, and and there are there are moments both in Glorious Bastards and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are punctuated by by brief episodes of of profound violence. Yes. Uh, but that's not the point of the show. And it's not the bulk of it. Um, it's not even 20% of it. Um, and actually, what he's doing is really breathtakingly beautiful homages to old genres. And uh, he probably does set pieces um, and psychological drama and tension better than any director that, than you and I could think of currently right now. Um, you and I were talking about one particular scene in Inglorious Bastards that, that is way too long. You probably, I don't know what they teach in film school, <laughs> right? But uh, the, 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 the bar scene um, in the... Uh, in the basement. In the, in the basement beer hall, yeah. beer hall, right, in France, in Inglorious Bastards, is, has to be at least 20 minutes, wouldn't you say, Christopher? Could be, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all dialogue. They're all seated. Um, and uh, it's, it's several things. It's, it's a profound ratcheting of tension. Um, mm-hmm. It's also a great uh, homage to war movie period. Uh, you've got these lovely uniforms. Everyone likes to mm-hmm. point out that SS uniforms are designed by Hugo Boss. Um, <laughs> Michael Fassbender looks great in an SS uniform. Uh, and, uh, and also it's uh, old World War II movies, right? You've got, got, got people smoking cigarettes and, and girls in red hats and high heels. And uh, so I've kind of monologued here. Uh, but, but but also the the western like the yes, great showdown and and he is the master of the showdown so in Inglorious Bastards um the, the opening of the film you see Christoph Waltz as this SS officer whose job it is what what is it what is he called like the Jew hunter or something the Jew hunter yes <laughs> yeah like and that's very descriptive like he if he hears there are Jews around he try he hunts them down and kills them and um so he goes to this French farm and has this like showdown scene with this farmer who's hiding Jews under the floor and he's uh Christopher Waltz is very good at his job and there's this very intense showdown scene like he might as well be uh depicting you know two two cowboys uh on main dusty main street with a tumbleweed blowing with a, mm. a whistle in the background um and uh, and that's the same thing in in the beer hall. This fantastic showdown, um, oh. but but the showdown is a dialogue is dialogue, and it's brilliant. Like that that scene in the, in the downstairs um, beer hall is one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema. And I don't particular I don't think I do not hold Inglorious Bastards in my top fifty movies. You know I don't love that movie, but that scene is one of my favorite, like maybe a top five scene in all of cinema. Yeah, yeah, I think it's his set pieces. You're you're right. Yes. That film yeah. that film is a series of. It, it, it's it's a bunch of forgettable stuff around probably two or three brilliant set pieces and that one in in particular um christopher waltz uh in in three different scenes that that the, the french farmhouse with the jews under the floorboards um and then uh eating the strudel in the restaurant the strudel <laughs> with uh shoshona shoshona weissman the uh, the cinema owner who has a girl he had decided not to shoot as she's running away from that French farmhouse at the beginning of the film. And the tension in that, and the way he is a, a cat dangling a mouse by its tail, mm. making a decision, do I eat you now, or in 30 seconds, or in an hour? You know, licking licking his, his claws, wondering, scratching his chin. I mean, that is precisely what he's doing there, right? As you're describing this, are you picturing Jeremy Irons as Scar in The Lion King in the opening? Precisely, yes. <laughs> a great, um, a great scene. Yeah. Yeah, but also um, in his love of set pieces, think of how long, uh, how long his uh, camera angles. Um, yeah. He allows those to linger. Um, kind of the last thing I'll say, and then we'll end in prayer. In terms of his uh, his his lovely uh, uh, set pieces, uh, he he also does something Shakespearean periodically. He'll do the play within the play. Um, and he does this in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in which you have kind of in the middle of this movie, you have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And you and I have talked about how, how beautiful this is. He's reading this Western novel um, <laughs> during lunch. And this girl actor, who's this very serious, intense method actress actor, um, asks him, what, what, are, what are you reading? And he says, well, it's, 
It's about this 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 cowboy, this man who who used to be good at his job, but now he's starting to wonder. He's lost a step, and he begins to choke up as he realizes he's describing his own career as an actor. Um, and there's this Hamlet moment, right, where he has they go the the next scene is his him filming with this girl, and the camera, uh, Tarantino allows the camera to linger on him, as he has this almost. Uh, Macbeth style. Now I'm mixing my Shakespeare plays. <laughs> Macbeth, Macbeth style rage that fills him, and he channels that rage, and he throws her on the floor. And the camera probably is on those two for a full minute. And again, I don't know what's taught in film school in terms of camera angles. And what does she say to him at the end of the, after cut? She says, "What does she say? Something like that, sir? That is the best scene we've ever, uh, or the best acting I've ever seen. Something like that. Yeah, yeah just the highest praise." Yeah, from her, and like usually you would be like, oh, well, a little girl, but like she takes this stuff seriously. Yes, and all of that is as well um, a love a love letter to genre, mm-hmm. to old Hollywood genre, to um, well, first of all, to 1960s Hollywood, which is what it's what it's in. It's a love letter to neon signs and the cars and the hair and and the, the tie dyed stuff, um, but it's also a love letter to uh, Western genre as well. So I'm not, I guess we're not, you and I aren't commending kind of violence in cinema as just kind of an unalloyed good. We're not even commending all of his, uh, all of his films, but, but he's, uh, he's kind of stepped into, um, a stage in his life where he's, he's on a different level when he's good. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no one quite like him. And I guess would, would you and I, I think we'd both full throatedly recommend Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, absolutely. That that, that movie is, is great. And I do recommend it. Um, the, the rest of his stuff, like there are really, really good elements of the, of it, but it's not for everyone. Yep. Um, but if you love old LA, if you love old cinema, (laughs) Um, you don't as much as Quentin Tarantino does (laughs) and, (laughs) and you will love all of that. Shall shall we end in prayer? Let's do it. Let's end in prayer. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you in the same spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. The whole world see and know the things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that by all things are being brought to their perfection by him, through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thou who with thine own mouth hast told us that at midnight the bridegroom shall come, grant that the cry, The bridegroom cometh, may sound evermore in our ears, that so we be never unprepared to meet him, or forgetful of the souls for whom he died, for whom we watch and pray. And save us, O Lord. Amen. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk, we'll do this in person. In person. Next week.